is. So in Matthew chapter 16, this has been our key verse for a while now. In uh, Matthew chapter 16, trying to pull it up here. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. Jesus says that I will build my church. That statement right there, we haven't really understood completely. First of all, we see he says, I will build my church. I, personally, Jesus, is building his church. That means I am not building the church. You're not building the church. Nobody that just has a sign that says church on the outside of it is building a church. Jesus is the only one building his church. He's building it. It says there the word my, my church. That does not mean my as in belonging to, as in that is my truck, or this is my seat, or my Bible, or this is my home. He's saying my, that Greek word my actually means attached to or a part of. That means the church that I am building, Jesus is saying, the church that I am building is actually a part of me. It is attached to me. So we've been taking time to look at that because just because they say church doesn't mean that they are his church. Jesus here is identifying there is my church and then there's other things that we call church, which are really just congregation, just assembly. And so we need to discover what does his church look like? How can we be his church? The first thing that we saw is that if you are going to be his church, you have to be connected to the head. We see many times throughout the word of God that the church is referenced to as a body. Paul uses the term the body of Christ. Well, if the church is the body, then who's the head? Jesus. Jesus is the head. And just like with any of our physical bodies, if you are separated from your head, you are dead. It's very simple. A body without a head is dead. The number one identifier for his church is that they are connected to the head, Jesus. You cannot be his church and have a body that's separated doing whatever it wants to do and not connected to Jesus. Now, when I say Jesus, a lot of us think maybe to a movie we saw as a child or or what we picture Jesus as, as being someone with long hair and a beard and walking around doing miracles and being nice to people and one, you know, one day dying on the cross and then rising again. But that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus, the man, was on this earth for 33 years. 33 years. That is a very small sliver of time in the fact that Jesus existed from the very beginning. Jesus was there in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus was there when, the Moses, when, when Moses parted the sea. Jesus was there when David killed Goliath. Jesus was there when Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Jesus was there before Matthew chapter 2 when he's born. And the story where we see Jesus' entrance into the world. How do I know that? John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God then we skip on down to verse 14 it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us lived among us so the word that has always existed since the very beginning of time in fact he has no beginning it's just 
been there. Don't try to wrap your mind around it because you can't. He's always existed. The word became flesh, was named Jesus, lived on this planet for 33 years, died on a cross for your sins, and rose again so that we could have eternal life. But the word has always existed. So what's the number one identifier for his church? The one that is centered and focused around the word. You can't be his church and only preach what you want to preach out of this Bible. You can't be his church and focus and center your ministry in your church around everything else but the word of God. This is the number one identifier. This is it. So to be his church, we have to be connected to the head. Jesus being the word of God, we have to be a church that's connected to the word of God. The second thing we saw was that to be his church, we have to be connected to each other. Bible says that just as our bodies are one body, but made up of many members. What are those members? Hands, arms, feet, lungs, brain, heart, stomach, knees. We have bones, we have muscles, we have joints, we have ligaments. Those are many members, but they make up one body. And just like in our natural bodies, if something's going wrong if one part, if one member gets out of place, what do we do? We go to get it put back in place. We're connected. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Why? Because the eye needs the ear. And the ear needs the eye. The hand can't say to the foot, I want to be a foot. No, no, it sounds silly, but Paul wrote that. What's he doing? He's showing you that we are many members making up one body, but we see these things happen in churches all the time. I haven't been around that long. I'll be 30 this year, but I have seen some terrible things happen in churches. I've seen church splits. I've seen dysfunction. You know, I heard someone say, well, you know, we're all church family, you know, no family, you know, gets along with, you know, with each other all the time. Yeah, but we fix it. Because I broke my finger several years ago. And I didn't say, ah, that's all right. It was sitting on top of my middle finger when I snapped it. I didn't say, eh, that's all right. We'll just leave it there. No, I had it set in place. It was painful. Didn't feel good. But I'm glad I set it back in the right place. I put a stint on it so I didn't injure it. I covered it. I protected it. But yet when it comes to church, we don't do the same with our members. We put their stuff out there, hit them up on Facebook. We, we come in and, you know, the strife and division and dysfunction taking place in churches. And then we don't like what someone says or what someone does, and we go out the door. See, my, my hand can't tell my foot, man, I don't need you. Switch me places. That'd be silly. You know why that'd be silly? Because verse 27 says, we are all in the body as it pleases him. Why does he always get to usher? Because he's in the body as it pleases him. You're not pleasing me. You ain't working for me. Well, I, I got to go do children's. You know, Pastor Mark asked me to do children's. No, Jesus asked you to do children's. 
Jesus, God, has placed you in his body as it pleases him. He's getting pleasure and satisfaction out of you fulfilling your assignment in church, being in the body, being set in place. So we have to be connected to the head, and we have to be connected to each other. We took several weeks to discuss those different things. I can't cover every verse and every topic that we spoke on there, but those were very valuable messages that help us understand what the body of Christ looks like. Last week, we took a little bit of a turn, and I wanted to start to talk about the government of the kingdom of God. The government of the kingdom of God, because until we understand the kingdom of God, we won't fully understand the role and the purpose of the church. We won't fully understand the role and the purpose of the church. Has anyone ever asked the question of why church? Why go to church? Why is there a church? Why, why do we need to hear a pastor preach? Why do we need to go and congregate with other believers that believe like I do? And that love God like I do? Why do we do that? And so... Until we ask the question why, until we discover the purpose for something, we won't use it properly. And there are people that are not using church and not appropriating themselves in the church properly because they don't understand why you need to be in church or why the church is even here. There's a statement that came to me earlier this week that really set me free. See, we are the body of Christ. The worst thing that most churches do and that most believers do is they make, there is a disconnect between Jesus and the church. That's called decapitation. And if you decapitate somebody, they die. We've been looking at that. Why is there a disconnect? If we are the body of Christ, that's not in there once, that's not in there twice, that's in there multiple times. The church is the body of Christ. Nobody here in this room can do anything without your body. You can want to and will it all day long up here. But if your body doesn't get up and perform the function, the head goes nowhere. You might want to get up and walk outside right now. You might want to get up and get a drink of water. You might want to get up and Go to the bathroom, but unless your legs get you up out of the seat and walk you to the bathroom, unless you, your hand grabs that cup and brings it to your mouth, your head can will it and want it all at once, but it will not accomplish anything without the body. And one of the most dangerous things that's happening in church today is there is a disconnect between Jesus and the church. Jesus is the hope of the world, but what about the church? We're dealing with the same problems everybody else is. Jesus is the answer. But then people come to church and they're not getting any more answers. They're getting more confused. Or we give them surface answers and feel like we have really answered something, but we really haven't. Anybody in this room ever gone to a church and have more questions than answers? So, if Jesus is the hope of the world, if Jesus is the answer, Jesus said, I came to bring life and life more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So guess what? Since we are the body of 
Jesus Christ, that means that we are the way, we are the truth, we are the life. For some of you, that might be the first time you ever heard that. When I show up on the scene, the way has just shown up, the truth has just shown up, and life has just shown up. Not because of who I am, not because of anything I've ever done in my life, but because Jesus came into my life put me in his body, the church, and now I am the answer. Because guess what? Jesus is somewhere else. I'm in the earth today. The church is the hope of the world. The local body church is the hope of the world. That's why this is so important. That's why what we're doing this morning, this is the most valuable thing you will do all week. And I don't know you. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know how important you are in your field and, and what your life is like. But this right here is the most valuable thing you will do all week. This is more valuable than any money you'll make this week, any paperwork you'll sign. This is it. Because we are the church and we are the hope of the world. And his church is a powerful church. Last week we looked at the government entity. The church is a government entity. Here is why I believe the church has mistaken its purpose. Since we are the body of Christ, that means our purpose is directly tied to Jesus' purpose. That means why Jesus came is why we're here today. You have to make that connection. If we don't make that connection, we go nowhere. We have to make the connection. What Jesus came to do, we are here to do. But here's the problem. Most people think Jesus came to free people from their sins and get them to heaven. That's what most people think Jesus came to do. He came so he could die on a cross, free you from your sin, so one day when you die, you can go to heaven. So guess what the church is busy doing today? Trying to get people free from their sins and trying to get them away to heaven. They think Jesus came to win the lost. And so the church has made its biggest purpose, its biggest movement around Winning the lost. And that's not his purpose. And that's not our purpose. Jesus didn't come as a religious figure. We're going to look at this. Jesus didn't come to be the, the head of Christianity. In fact, he never used the word Christian. He never talked about Christians. He never said, and when, if you believe in me, you'll be a Christian. No, he said, if you believe in me, you'll be a disciple a follower, a believer. He didn't say these things are available to those who are Christians. He said these things are available to those who believe. Those who are disciples, that means a studier and a student of my word, and then you apply it in your life and live it out. Anybody know some Christians that really do more worse for the kingdom of God than they do anything good? They call themselves Christians. And, and, and look, th th they've hindered us. They've hindered us because we see that and we think, oh, okay, that you, we can do that and still be a Christian. And that's a hindrance. No, we want to be his church, not just a church. We want to be his church, amen? The title of my message this morning is, is this seat taken? Is this seat taken? And 
you'll see where we're going to go. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, go to verse 19. We read the first verse. He said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now watch this in verse 19. By the way, this is the first time Jesus mentions church. If you look up church in your little uh, dictionary or if you try to find out how many times it is in the Bible, it's never in the Old Testament. It is twice in the Gospels and then the rest of it's in Acts and on. This is one of the only times Jesus mentions church. Watch what he says. And I will give you, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, the, the, the struggle that we have is when I say church, you think of this or the building you go to and congregate and you sing a few songs, you listen to a pastor speak, and then you go out to the buffet afterwards. That's what you picture church as. But that's not church. So we have our biggest goal in hearing God's word, studying God's word, is to find out what did God mean when he wrote it. Because I know people that have been hurt by church. I know people that don't ever want to go to church. I know people that love church, but maybe for the wrong reasons. Uh, it's from one end of the spectrum to the other. So we got to find out what his church is supposed to look like. And he mentions his church. This is the first time he mentions church. Now watch this. Keys denote authority and power. If I give you the keys to this building, you have the authority to enter this building. I am giving you permission. I am giving you authority. I'm giving you the power to come in. And if someone were to say, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, well, Pastor Mark gave me the key. And I'm not going to show up and say, what are you doing in here? Well, you gave me the key. You told me to come get this thing for you. What did I just do? Give you authority to enter. So he says, I will give you the keys. I will give you the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Why do we need the authority? If Jesus is all powerful, if he's the one that has all authority, then why do we need it? Why does his church need it? Good question. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So who's doing the binding? The church. God's not binding. Jesus isn't binding. Angels aren't binding. You, the church, is binding. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who's doing the loosing? The church. He's not saying, and so I will bind, and then it'll be bound in heaven, and I will lose. No. He's not saying that. He's saying you. He, right here, is passing all authority, all power, back to his church. Did Jesus operate with power on the earth? All right, well, let's just look at a few scenarios. When he stood up in that boat and said, peace be still, did they stop? Okay. When he went up to demons and said, come out of that man, did they come out? When he, when he laid his hands on a dead girl that was 12 years old, did she rise up? When he prayed for a blind man, did his eyes open? When he prayed for a lame man, lame man did he rise up off of that bed when they brought him down to, through the roof? Did anything stop Jesus? So he's a person of authority. 
See, the first thing we have to understand about authority and about power, because that's where we're going today, is understanding that Jesus is first a man of authority. He came here as a person who is in authority, who has dominion, who has control, who can say to a fig tree, wither and die, and come back the next day and it's dead. Who can tell a demon-possessed man, tell the demons, come out of that man, and they come out. Who can lay hands on a sick man, and they recover. Now, we make a big deal out of Jesus. Man, Jesus was awesome. Jesus was, uh, had authority. Jesus was powerful. And he sure was. In fact, if we look at Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, this is a verse that we usually read around Christmas time. But verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And you may have never seen this before, but it says this. And the government, the government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Watch verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and even... Forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Here's a shocking statement. The answer for our world today is government. Government. But again, we have to do, and I'm telling you, every time you read the Bible, you have to do this. What does God mean? Because how many of you know our form of government today is not the answer? (laughs) You know that. You know, our government today, not the answer. There is not one good form of government on the planet. Not a monarchy, not a dictatorship, not a republic, not a democracy. Man has failed every time at trying to reproduce what God put in place in the beginning. Well, I thought God just created a garden and put Adam and Eve in there. Absolutely, but he was creating a government. And that government was called a kingdom, the kingdom of God. Because the first thing he does with man after he creates him is says, I'm going to create you in my image, in my likeness, and you will have dominion. What is dominion? Dominion is authority. It is governing control over a territory. Well, over what? Over the garden? No. He says over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth and, and over all the earth. See, we think about the Garden of Eden as just paradise and Adam and Eve, they didn't have to do anything. They just bask in God's presence and hang out and pick fruit and eat it and, you know, do whatever and go ride a horse if they want and go pet a tiger if they want. That's, that's the stuff we learned as a kid. But they were working. They had work to do because they were in control over that whole territory. Who did God tell to name the animals? Adam. First assignment. I want you to go name name all the animals. You're in control over the earth now. You're in control. If Adam and Eve are in control, then guess who's not in control on the earth? God. What? God? That's one of our favorite sayings. That's one of our favorite statements. God is in control. Nope. 
not according to Genesis chapter 1, 26. He handed all his authority to man. Let me prove it to you. When he wanted to part the Red Sea and get his Israelites across to the other side, who did he need? Moses. When he wanted to take out a giant that was coming against his people, the Israelites, who did he need? David. When he wanted to get his word to his people, did he come down and talk to them? No, he used priests and prophets and kings. He used Isaiah, Jeremiah. That's why he had to send Jonah. And he needed Jonah to be obedient to go to Nineveh and not be disobedient and jump off of a ship. Because I need you to go talk to Nineveh. I can't do it without you. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I said that man has authority. Man has dominion on the earth. So if I'm getting anything done in the earth, I need a man. But now God's faced with a dilemma because sin has crept into man. He disobeyed God. Sin is rampant. Everybody's sinning. And the only one that can save man is himself. So how does God, being a spirit, get himself in the earth when you have to have flesh to do anything in this realm? Well, what about Satan? He's doing stuff. He's operating illegally. He's outside of the law. He's breaking the law. And that's why we see death and destruction and the corrupt things that are taking place in our world today. But God isn't going to break his law. So he's stuck. I'm spirit. I'm the only one that can redeem man, save them from their sin. But I can't get in the earth. So what does he do? He sends himself in flesh. And so Jesus comes on the scene and walks the planet for 33 years. And the first time he ministers, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom is at hand and everywhere he goes the kingdom of god is like this the kingdom of god is like that the kingdom of god is like a a fisherman's net the kingdom of god is like a pearl of great price the kingdom of god is like a lost coin the kingdom of god is like a master who sends his servants away the kingdom of god the kingdom everything he didn't talk about being born again he never preached about that He didn't talk about, one day I'm going to go, and I'm going to die on the cross, and they're going to kill me, and they're going to beat me, and I'm going to die, but three days I'm going to rise again. He never preached about that. Go back and look. He had those conversations with his disciples. Being born again, it's only mentioned one time in John chapter 3, and he talked to a Pharisee in the middle of the night. There wasn't a whole group of people When he had rooms full of people that people couldn't get in and people are are dropping uh, guys down through the roof, he wasn't preaching about going to the cross. He's preaching about the kingdom. When he had the Sermon on the Mount, the longest sermon that's recorded, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's got a whole uh, multitude sitting there in front of him on the side of a mountain just listening to him. He's talking about the kingdom. He said, blessed are those who persecute you for yours is the kingdom. When he's asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray. He says, here you go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus came with a heaven to earth mentality. Why does the church today have an earth to heaven mentality? We're not even thinking like Jesus thought. We're the body of Christ. And we have limited ourselves to let's get people saved so when they die, they go to heaven. And that wasn't Jesus's, that wasn't what he was after at all. Did he die on the cross for our sins? Absolutely. You know why your sins had to be done away with? Because you can't be in the kingdom with them. You have to be righteous. So Jesus came as a man of authority. We just saw he said the government will be placed upon his shoulders. The government. Not a religion. Jesus didn't come here to establish Christianity. Jesus didn't come here to make a bunch of Christians. Jesus came to make disciples that could then advance the kingdom everywhere they go. That's all that Jesus did. He advanced the kingdom. You won't do the same assignment he had, but we have the same purpose we had. So here's the problem. Since we have mistaken Jesus' purpose, we have under, misunderstood ours. We've mistaken Jesus' purpose, and so we have misunderstood ours. So let's find out what his purpose was so we can understand ours. The first point I wanted to make there was that Jesus was a government figure, not a religious icon. If Jesus becomes a, a, a religious icon, then he's nothing more than Buddha and Muhammad and all the rest of it, we, put them, we bring them down to that same level. Sure, he's alive, and sure, we get to talk to him and hang out with him, but that's all he is, is he's the starter of Christianity. No, he came as more than that. Watch what he says in John chapter 18. John chapter 18, he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he has a conversation with Pilate, and it says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews. Why would he ask him that question? Because everywhere Jesus went, he called himself a king. Everywhere. I am a king. And my kingdom's not of this world. And that's they he talked about the kingdom of God so much. They thought that he came here to do a political thing. They weren't looking religious. They didn't believe him. When he said, I am the son of God. But boy, when he started making when he started making statements like the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, and calling himself a king every time, now they're thinking, okay, we got a problem. We got someone who's actually trying to rise up and overthrow a government. And so it's about the kingdom of God. He answered, he, he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or that others tell you, apparently somebody's been talking and saying that I'm a king. Did you figure that out on your own or did somebody tell you? Because that's a good question. Because if you figured it out on your own, then that's from God. If you got it from everybody else, then you're just repeating what everybody else has been saying. And so what does he say? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. What he's saying here is 
my kingdom doesn't look like your kingdom. And my kingdom doesn't operate like your kingdoms. My kingdom operates like heaven. And I'm here to show you what heaven looks like. I'm here to reveal that to you. So verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And here we go. Jesus answered and said, you say rightly, I am a king. For this cause, I was born. For this cause, I have come into the world. Not to die on a cross. Not to get people to heaven. To be a king and restore a kingdom. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Right there, Jesus states his purpose for coming to the earth. There's another, point, another part in Luke chapter 4 where he says we need to go to the other towns to preach the kingdom of God because for this purpose I was sent. His purpose was about a kingdom. His purpose was about a government being reestablished in the earth that was there in Genesis chapter 1, that was there in Genesis chapter 2, and was there until Adam and Eve ate the fruit and allowed someone else to take over authority. Adam and Eve did not lose access to heaven. They were never supposed to go to heaven. If Adam and Eve had not eaten the fruit, where would they be today? If they hadn't touched the fruit, if they hadn't taken that bite out of it, they weren't sitting around, and I wonder when Jesus is coming and take us back to heaven. I wonder when that rapture's coming. That was never in the, in the playbook. It was, this is your assignment. You're in the earth. If you take care of my stuff, I will take care of your stuff. So you tend the garden. You keep the garden. You guard it. It means keep things out. So that was man's original assignment in the beginning. Now Jesus shows up, and he does everything Adam and Eve were supposed to do. There's nothing that dominated Jesus. There's nothing that controlled him. There is nothing that ruled him. He ruled everything. He controlled everything. He called the shots. He dictated, and he said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I only do what my father tells me to do. Where he tells me to go, I go. What he tells me to say, I say. He was completely obedient to his father. Therefore, he was successful in his assignment to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. Why are we talking about Jesus? Because unless we understand Jesus' role, we won't understand ours. Right now I'm seeing churches that their biggest push is to win the lost and save souls. And they, they, they use their church services to do that. It's all geared, and, and, and nobody's growing up, nobody's learning anything, because they're hearing the same message week after week of, Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we have people that are struggling with their lives because there's no purpose behind it. They're just waiting to get to heaven. And Jesus' full focus was get what's going on in heaven down here. In heaven, there's no sickness, so there shouldn't be sickness here. In heaven, there's no lack and despair, so there shouldn't be any lack and despair here. This is number one goal. So that then... Since we're the body of Christ, we are Jesus in the earth, that has to be our number one goal. 
Our number one goal cannot be win the lost. Our number one purpose cannot be to save people from hell and get people to heaven. Anybody heard that question? If you died today, where, where, where would you go? Jackson knows. Amen. He's got it. He knows he's going to heaven. And you need to know you're going to heaven when you die. But my question is, is how can I get you to understand your purpose here? You're here right now. And so then we make up things like, well, you know, that God's teaching us something through this. And, and you know, despair and, and lack and, you know, worry, you know, those things, that's just part of this life. And so we mosey through this life, barely make it through this life, and then get to heaven. But I want people to understand there's a purpose here. And I'll tell you right now, that's the purpose of the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, this is where we start getting into Jesus' purpose a little more. Verse 20 says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. What is Jesus doing right now? Sitting down. He's not working. He's not working. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, above all power, above all might, above all dominion. You know what that means? Jesus is in control. Jesus is in charge. Nothing rules Jesus. Nothing tells Jesus what to do. Nothing. He is seated at the right hand of the Father above all that. Well, that's great. That's great, Pastor Mark, but what does that do for me? Watch this, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Here we go. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Watch this. Jesus is sitting in heaven. Jesus is the head. You, the church, is the body. And if the body and the head can't be separated, then where's the body? I'll give you the answer. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Very next chapter. A few more verses down. Verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Here we go. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I ask the question again. If the head is at the right hand of the Father, seated with or, or seated next to the right hand of the Father, above all power, above all might, above all dominion, and the body is connected to the head, 
then where is the body? Seated with Jesus in heavenly places above all power, all might, and all dominion. Here's where that connection comes. Here's where we have to make that connection. Because we have no problem saying Jesus has all power. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all dominion. We saw him operate on the earth and do the things he did. And Jesus is God. So that's an easy statement. But now, could you say the same for yourself? Well, I'm seated above all power, above all might, above all dominion. That's where, that's where the church is failing. That's where the church isn't making the connection. And now we're just waiting till we get to heaven. And I'm telling you right now, his body, his church is connected to the head. So if I'm sitting in this chair, is my head, is my head in the chair? Is my head in the chair? Where's my body? In the chair. Why is there a disconnect? Why, is, why does the head get to, to float in the chair, seated at the right hand of the Father, but the body's down here on earth struggling and dealing with everything? Now I, I, you know, this sickness, is, this headache, I just can't seem to get it to go away. I just can't ever seem to get any money. I just can't ever get any financial breakthrough. This worry and this, this anger, this hatred in, in my heart towards my boss, you know, I, you know, I want to love him, but I just can't seem to overcome that. The body is in the chair, seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 just said that. We are raised together with Christ, sitting together with Christ. Yet we make the disconnect like Jesus, the head, is just floating in the chair without the body. That's not possible. So if Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, above all power, might, and dominion, and we are the body of Christ, then we're above all power, all might, all dominion. Every name that is named. Does cancer have a name? Does a headache have a name? Does the flu have a name? Well, you know, it's that time of year again. It's that flu season, you know, just... Seems to come around. Every year I get it. You are seated above the flu. You're seated above the pollen. The pollen is the earth. And we have all dominion, all authority, all control over the earth. We got to make this connection, guys. We have to make this connection. The church today is not as powerful as Jesus made it out to be in 16 verse 19 of Matthew. It's not the same church. The church we see today is not the church Jesus talked about in Matthew 16, 19. And I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. We have to get that connection made. Whatever Jesus is doing, he needs his body to carry it out. 
just like you can't do anything just wanting to. You, might, you may want to go to school all you want, but until you do something physically with your body to make that happen, you won't go to school. You may want to start a business all you want, but until you do something physically with your body to get that thing going, you will not start the business. You may want to change your financial situation all you want, but until you physically do something with the rest of your body. Well, what did Jesus say to pray? He said, pray that heaven would come to earth, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how does the will of God, how does the want to of God, where does the will and the want to take place? My hand doesn't have will and want to. My legs don't have will and want to. My head has will and want to. My head says, you know what? I, I want to get in the gym and I, and I want to I get bigger. I want to get stronger. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then the hands and the arms and the back and the chest and the legs and the feet, they follow what the head wants to do. But the want to is here. Jesus is wanting and willing to do some stuff in the earth, but he cannot do it without a body. Cannot do it without a body. And we are the body. The church is the body. Jesus wants people in the earth set free from addictions. We are the body. We're the ones that help them get free from that stuff. Jesus wants marriages to be restored. We are the church. We're the ones that help restore people's marriages. We're the answer. I mean, this all stemmed from that shooting that took place back in December. And I said, we've got to get focused on the church because we can, because the, 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 the questions that were being asked the days after that took place, where was God in all of this? Why would this happen? Why would God let this happen? And we got Christians asking this. So that's why in January, we were holding here in this church Tuesday night prayers from 6 to 9 p.m., opening the doors for people to come and pray. Why? Because the church has to do something about it. Because verse 19 of Matthew 16 says, whatever you bind on earth, does some stuff need to be bound up? Is there a devil that's running loose that needs to be bound up and tied up and say, you know, we don't let you in our school systems. We don't let you in our government. We don't let you in our small businesses. We don't let you in our economy. We don't let you in our homes. You fathers, you wouldn't let just anybody bust up into your house and start doing stuff. What are you going to start doing? You're going to start binding some things. Why? Because that's your territory. That's your domain. Well, we have a territory. We have a domain. It's called earth. It's called public schools. It's called government. It's called our homes. It's called our families. It's called our marriages. And we're just letting the devil come in and not do anything about it. Well, you know, God is in control. If he wanted to stop them, he would stop them. No, the church isn't doing that part. Notice that heaven reciprocates what we do in the earth. 
He says, whatever you bind on earth will then be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will then be loosed in heaven. Do we need to loose some peace in the earth? Better believe it. Do we need to loose some love in the earth? Oh, yeah. So we have binding and we have loosing taking place. And we tell people, you need Jesus. Well, they need church. Because Jesus ain't coming down in person anymore. You are Jesus. You are the hands. You are the feet. You are the voice. You are the arms that extend. You are the legs that carry. You are the back that carries. We are the body of Christ. So where the head is, so is the body. Where Jesus is, so is the church. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Look, he's talking about the kingdom so much that they're asking, when is it coming? When's it coming? They're looking for a natural kingdom. And look what he says. He answered, and, uh, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. I mean, it's not going to be here out where you can see it. It's not, like, not going to be a natural kingdom like you see the, the government of the United States or the government of England or whatever. But watch what he says. They won't say see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is in you. That's important. That's important because here's the thing. That means if you aren't releasing the kingdom, then it's not getting out because it's, in, it's within us. Why do we still, if the kingdom of God is here, then why do we still see death and destruction and all these terrible things that are taking place? Because the full completion of the kingdom has not taken place. Jesus has not come down and cast Satan into the lake of fire. He's still ruling and reigning on this earth. But he has given the kingdom of God to us, his church. He's given us the keys of the kingdom, and it's within us. So if the kingdom of God is going to be revealed to the world, it has to come out of you and I. Every time you go to work, the kingdom just showed up. Every time you go to your, your kids' little league games, the kingdom just showed up. Every time you show up at a board meeting, the kingdom just showed up. Every time you walk up into Walmart and you see people with, that are struggling and worried and concerned about their lives, you just brought the kingdom to that situation. You are the kingdom to this world. He said the kingdom is within you. And the only way you're going to get the kingdom out there is if you first get the kingdom in here. The only way this world is going to align itself with God's rule and God's authority is when we align ourselves to God's rule and God's authority. And there's privileges and there's benefits for living in the kingdom. You know that there are people right now fighting, clawing, rowing, digging their way into this country. Why? Because there's privileges. And there's benefits for living there. There's a new life. It's the land of opportunity. Are there laws here? Yeah. 
Do you have to obey some rules here in the United States of America? Absolutely. But there's benefits and there's privileges. The same way with the kingdom. Yeah, there's laws. There's rules. There's an authority in place. But when you obey the laws of the land, then you enjoy the benefits and the privileges. I mean, if I go down here and I go the speed limit of 45 or 40 or whatever it is right out here, I enjoy the privilege of not getting in a car accident, not getting pulled over and having to pay a ticket. That's a benefit. That's a privilege. There are people in this country, the land of opportunity, where the, the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? But there's people in this country sitting behind bars, not enjoying any freedoms, any privileges, any benefits. Why? They broke the laws of the land. This is such a great place to live. Go ask one of those guys. So how's America? Well, it's on you, buddy. You broke the law. Now you pay the price. But as long as you stay in right alignment with his authority, that's called righteousness. When you stay in alignment with the king and the kingdom of God, then you enjoy the privileges. You enjoy the benefits. And look, God is the best king ever. You know why? Because he doesn't care about himself. He's not concerned for himself. Every king that has gone wrong is because they had a personal gain. It's wrong with every president. It's wrong with every dictator. That's what's wrong with every leader is there's always this fight for personal gain. But we serve a king who says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. My only concern is for you. I have your best interest at heart. Some of you might be thinking, I don't want to serve a king. I mean, whatever he says I have to do, I mean, we don't want to serve someone like that. I want to have a say. I want to have an opinion. I want to be able to choose which way I go. I want to be able to choose what health care plan. I want to be able to choose what retirement plan I get. I want to be able to choose, you know, if they allow this law to take place or not, right? That's what we do in America. We, our opinions get in the way, and I want it my way, and I want to do it this way, and let's see if we can get enough people to side with this so we can allow this to happen. But we serve a king in the kingdom of God that already has our best interests at heart. He already knows our steps. They're ordered of the Lord. He's already got a plan and a destiny and a purpose for our life. And if we just stay on that, our lives will be perfect. And you'll find out that he had it out for you way better than you ever could imagine for yourself anyways. That's the kingdom of God. What's that have to do with the church? Because we are the kingdom in the earth. We are that government entity. We are seated with Christ. You have to quit making the separation. That's why I did the whole illusion of sitting down. I'm trying to show you how simple it is. Where the head is, there the body is. If you separate the body, if I put the head here and the body here, they are both ineffective. Because the body can only do what the head wants to do, and the head needs the body to do what it wants to do. Are you, saying, are you saying Jesus needs me? Yep. Jesus can do nothing without his body. Just like you can do nothing without yours. He has to have a body. We are the body of Christ. 
So if Jesus is seated above sickness, guess who else is seated above sickness? If Jesus is seated above lack and worry and despair, then guess who else is seated above lack, worry, and despair? If Jesus is seated above anger and hatred, then guess who else is? If Jesus is seated above the control of sin and immoral behavior, then guess who else is? Got to make the connection. Last verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Last verse. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Watch this. Because as he is, so are we in heaven. Does it say that? As he is, so are we when we die. As he is, so are we in this world. Well, all you have to do is just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll find out how Jesus was in this world. Nothing controlled him. Nothing dictated him. Nothing ruled him. There's no demon that ever said, no, I won't come out. There's no paralyzed person that said, well, guess it didn't work. There's no storm that said, I'll get you, you're nobody. There's no fig tree that said, I'm not dying. I'll hang out here as long as I want. No. Jesus had all authority. If he has all authority, guess who has no authority? The devil. Well, then why is he ruling my life, Pastor Mark? Why, why is he making me do all these things? Because we just haven't risen up to our authority. Your greatest weakness is what you don't know. Our greatest weakness is what we don't operate in. Well, I don't feel like someone in authority, but you are. The president may wake up one day and may feel like, man, I don't really feel like I'm in a, I got that much authority. But he is. A police officer may be driving around thinking, I don't really have that much authority, but he does. It's amazing how a police officer has, he would lose a battle between him and a car every time. Yet he can stand in the middle of the road, put his hand up, and stop a whole flood of them from coming his way. Why? Authority. I have the right to tell you to stop. I have the right to tell you to pull over. Because I have authority. The church is wearing the badge, but not operating in it. The devil has zero authority. He can't do whatever he wants to do. You've heard me say before, nothing should happen in the earth without the church's permission. 
these shootings and this all this destruction that we're seeing shouldn't take place without our permission. But until a, a nation and a country puts God at the forefront, doesn't operate in authority, you see these things take place. The devil's running rampant. He's having his way because the kingdom's within us. It's not out there until we put it out there, until we stand in control, until we take charge, until we operate in the authority and the power that Jesus gave to us. It's called delegated authority. My father is in the Air Force. Several years ago, he had to go overseas, go to Afghanistan. And while he was gone for 11 months, my mom was able to sign every document, fill out every piece of paperwork that she needed to in his absence because he delegated his authority to her. That's exactly what Jesus has done. He has delegated his authority, all the power he had, all the rule he had to his church, to his body. And now he needs us to fulfill it. He's sitting down, man. It says that he's made the earth his footstool. That means he's, he's kicked back with his feet propped up, which is what some of us may be doing when we get home this afternoon. Kicking back, propping up our feet and relaxing. And you ain't doing nothing. You want someone else to do it. And Jesus is sitting down with his feet propped up saying, you do it. You do it. I gave you authority over that headache. I gave you authority over that sickness. I gave you authority over that anger. I gave you authority over that fear. I gave you authority over that lack. You do it. You ask in my name and it will be done so that is the church in power that might be a different message than you've heard about the church it might be something completely different but that's what the church looks like that's our role that's what we're supposed to be doing in the earth amen father I thank you this morning for this message I thank you for the word that has gone forth Father, I thank you that it is a seed that's been planted in our hearts and that it will take root, Father. That means that we'll have to water it this week. Means we'll have to meditate on your word. We'll have to look over some of these verses again. We'll have to go over some of our notes. We'll have to listen to it again. Maybe we have to water it. But, Father, if we do, it will grow up and it will produce fruit in our lives. We'll begin to see our lives change. We'll see our world change. We can't change the entire world, but we can change our world where we make influence. Father, that we'll begin to be a light in darkness. That's what you've called us to be. But Father, we're going to be a light in darkness. We're going to be your church. In Jesus' name, amen.